We are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans themselves. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. What we've seen is a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shootings, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. And that intro covers a lot of ground, including a typhoon of terror against African Americans. When I was growing up, I used to think, foolishly, naively, that racism was just something Oh, those crazy white crackers down south did. I have since found out that uh, racism has always been part of America. And has it changed with a black president? How much has racism been effective? Can a president be a black leader? Or does the one job render the other impossible? As we approach the end of the Obama era, historians have, will have many different approaches to analyzing and rating the presidency of Barack Obama. But what about his blackness? How successful has Barack Obama been as a black leader? How has racism been affected by having an Amer- African-American president? Should black Americans be pleased or disappointed with the results of his two terms on race relations? Or is it... A little bit of both, something in between. With us today on Keeping Democracy Alive is Aaron Aubrey Kaplan. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Bert. And Aaron Aubrey Kaplan has a new book, which is called I Heart Obama. Kaplan has been described as one of our bravest, most discerning writers on race. She has been a journalist covering black issues for 25 years, including nine years as a staff writer for L.A. Weekly, two years as a weekly op-ed columnist for the Los Angeles Times. Her work has been anthologized, and she is the recipient of a Penn Center West Award for literary journalism, and that is a good award to get. She is the author of Black Talk, Blue Thoughts, and walking the color line. Again, thanks for being with us, Aubrey Kaplan. How did you come up with that title? <laughs> you know, it was actually just a working title, and I thought, oh, at some point I'll change it um, to something more, I don't know, um, more dignified or whatever. But it was really the first thing that came to my head as I wrote because I wanted to make this declaration that, you know, I am very connected to Obama um, personally, kind of culturally and historically, and I just wanted to unabashedly put that out there because I think um, one of the things that's happened during his presidency and actually before that, um, you know, we kept saying over and over, you know, yes, he's a black man, but he's going to represent all Americans, so we can't expect him to be too black. I mean, we had all this conversation Mm -hmm. about that. But I always felt very, um, uh, you know, like I said, connected to Obama, and I felt, and it was the first time I felt 
that I identify so closely with a president in my lifetime, and Obama and I are the same age. So I wanted to, you know, to make that pretty clear and unapologetic. Although at the same time, the title's a little bit tongue-in-cheek because I, 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 you know, I, I, I heart Obama, but I really do have reservations about many things he's actually done as president. Right. And um, um, so, but fundamentally, um, I do, you know, I do have a very strong connection with him, as do a lot of other African Americans. Yet at the same time, we have a very complicated conversation running underneath that that love, you could say. Mm-hmm. And of course, it makes me think of, you know, love relationships. In the beginning, it's all hearts and flowers, and then yes. <laughs> it evolves it's a romance, over. and then it becomes a marriage. Yeah, romance. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That's 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 absolutely true. Well, again, in an op-ed you wrote for the L.A. Times, you said mm-hmm. Obama has always meant something different to black people than he sure. does to everyone else. Well, what did you mean by that? Talk about that well, a little bit. It's very obvious. So obvious we, we don't really talk about it. And that is, you know, Obama, first black president, even as I say it, it seems fantastic. Oh, because, I know. Um, nobody... Um, uh, None of us, and certainly I don't think any other Americans, expected to have a black president no. at this point in time. Maybe sometime no. in the future. Yeah. Um, and, and when I was growing up, it, it was, it was, you know, it really was a fantasy. I mean, um, to have a, a black person elected president, the highest office in the country, leader of the free world, just seemed impossible. And frankly, it was not. It was not a, a, a goal as such. It was not part of the movement. Oh, um, you know, mm-hmm. Jesse Jackson ran for president a couple of times. And, right. You know, made a huge statement there and paved the way for Obama, really. But you know, I think that was understood as a kind of a um, a. Uh, uh, yeah, my my a, sense a, is you know an outsider thing, but this was very different, and so this took us by surprise in a way. And so Obama becomes immediately became for us, you know, another Jackie Robinson, another mm. another sort of uh, a, you know first in a long history of firsts, but. He's a president, and that's a very different position to be in than, say, a Jackie Robinson trying to integrate the major leagues, or or even Jesse Jackson, who's sort of you know pushing from the outside to be this to be this black candidate. Obama really is a centrist, and Obama is yes. is, is is you know actually um, kind of owning this American ideal of one America that really we mm-hmm. haven't heard since Martin Luther King. Yeah, uh, true. It, it, but unlike King, he's not you know he he is. Um, um, uh, not a, 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 a black leader as such. He's not leading a grassroots movement for racial justice. He certainly is schooled in racial justice. You know, if you read his yeah. memoir, he, you know, he, he's very educated about that. He's certainly a product of that historically. But essentially, he is a man who is pursuing his own ambition of being president. And he succeeded and took us all by surprise, swept us off our feet. And so I just wanted to examine in the book how that has um, resonated kind of, you know, culturally and personally and politically with, with black people. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, you know, as I think about those two examples, uh, uh, Jesse Jackson, I always saw as, as a black leader who ran mm-hmm. for president. Uh, yes, and absolutely. on the other hand, Jackie Robinson was a baseball player. His goal yes. was to play excellent baseball. And he right. did. And my sense is, and he happened to be black. And my sense is that Obama wanted, he, he was a U.S. senator, a state senator, a U.S. senator. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a black leader per se in the no. mold that, that, that Jesse Jackson was. No, you're, you're right. You're right. Um, that, that's exactly right. He was not 
the black leader who became president. Right. Um, he, he is, you know, again, more more creature of his own ambition. Mm-hmm. Although he certainly needed black support to get where he was. Oh, yeah. Not, you know, but, but he really does create this new sort of model of leadership. Yes. And mm. um, um, uh, unlike Jackie Robinson, though, you know, um, or other folks, he, you know, Jackie Robinson, when he, you know, he simply had to play excellent baseball, which yeah. he already knew how to do. He, he just had to do it in this con- in this new context. Obama gets, you know, is like the president, and he's got to figure out how to be president. He's not done this job before, and so it's a different, you know, it, it was a, um, a different uh, dynamic. And I think um, a lot of us sat on the edge of edges of our seat for even, you know, most of the eight years, wondering, you know, how is he going to pull this off? How is he going to be president. It's just not been done before by a black person. Um, yeah. You know, there were the Negro Leagues and there were black players before Jackie Robinson. In fact, he was not the best black player. But so Obama yeah, has true. brand new space to integrate, and that's what um, um, was re- that. That's really what what was so new and different and nerve wracking because um, it's a very public space. It's a very powerful space. Could he occupy it? Could he? Could he? You know, would would the people let him? do it. And so that was the story, the kind of narrative that, that we watched unfold. And mm. Obama, let's just say, you know, many things we could talk about in terms of what he's done as president or hasn't done, but um, he has certainly failed at, at, at creating this one America, and that's not his fault, really. No, But uh, the sure. question about racism has definitely been answered. Yes, indeed. And it sounds like you have some uh, four-legged friends there. <laughs> <laughs> right. We like dogs here. Bert Cohen here. We are uh, keeping democracy alive. Our guest today is Aaron Aubrey Kaplan, whose new book is called I Heart Obama. And I think about the beginnings, and, and I went to one, I could choose one day to go to the 2004 Democratic Convention. Mm-hmm. And I, I had heard from some friends in the Chicago area about, you got to see this guy Obama. you got to hear Barack Obama. So I did. <laughs> and it was one heck of a speech at the convention. Yeah. And he, again, he talked about one America. And then when he ran on in, in 2008, <clears throat> his slogan was hope. And yeah. that was a terrific slogan for a lot of people, including, I'm sure, you know, maybe it has special meaning for the various black communities in the United States. But I wonder, when you raise hope, doesn't that sort of make disappointment inevitable? That's that's a really good point, Bert. Yes, very very poetically put. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you. by the way, I think hope reaches back to Jesse Jackson's campaign or his slogan, "Keep Hope Alive." Oh, true. I had remember. About so that. Yes. nobody brought that up, but I immediately thought of it. Keep hope um, alive. Yep. And yeah, so so there's all. I think the hope, in the biggest sense for Black people, represents this. You know, the hope that we will reach this 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 um, we will realize racial justice. We we all know we're not there yet, as you. Said you know started out saying, but there's all you got to have hope in order, you know, to keep going to to um and to to be optimistic because you know um, there's really no alternative for us. So uh, I think Obama was invoking that, but I think I think the hope also was you know the hope that he could fulfill his own his own mission of 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 leading this sort of you know purple America, no, no, no blue states, no red states, it's just us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to say, I saw him, I started out the book by saying um, how I saw him uh, when he came to Los Angeles in 2007, and I, I had heard his speech in 2004, I, frankly, I thought, oh, that's a nice speech, it's a speech, it's a political speech, you know, mm-hmm. I, I guess I'd become cynical and I wasn't too impressed by it, but I, when I saw him and I saw him 
interact with the crowd, and I, and I saw people responding to this idea, this ideal of One America and how he could lead it. I think the idea that he, a black man, could lead, lead us to the promised land, so to speak, was really powerful for people. It was very, and, it, and I have to say, I was converted that day. I thought, wow, this is a very powerful yeah. idea. I think he really, really believes in it, and I am really moved by his belief. I don't know if we're going to get there. I wasn't sure about that at all, but I admired Obama for really, for really, um, um, uh, you know, reviving this idea that I don't really think I heard seriously since the 60s um, or maybe mm. the early 70s. It really, you know, so we had been sort of wandering in this, you know, ideological desert and for a long mm. time, and here was Obama picking up that hope, you know, uh, thread from decades ago and making it new and fresh and, and actually possible. Um, well, we seem right now a very long way from that One America campaign. We are at a very different point eight years later, but that's another conversation. Uh, it is so true. The division's just... Yes. It's, it, it's appalling. And it, it does seem like... I mean, you talk about One America. From day one, the Republicans... I can't call them conservatives because they're not conserving anything. The radicals. Absolutely. Radical right-wingers. Yeah. I absolutely agree. They have you know, fought against it. Whatever it was that President Obama wanted to do, they were against it. And, right. and, and you know, we've, we've seen what that done, what, what that has done, and how, how impossible they made it for Obama. And I don't know, I wonder what y- your thoughts, Aaron, on how, you know, how much they subtly, it was because he was black. I, I just, I cannot help but think. Of course. I mean, he was, in my opinion, not in the least bit to the left of Bill Clinton. Not at all. Probably Not even at all. to the right. So, how much do you think, you know, I, I just, and I, bet, I hate racism. I just I despise racism and I sure. despise fascism both, <laughs> you know. And Good. I, I, yeah, I just, I wonder how, you know, how blatant that was, how real it was. Some people say, oh, it wasn't because he was black, it was just because. Well, You'll, you'll find white people saying that, but I think yeah, black people true. from the very beginning saw it, because it's almost like we see a different, we're looking at the world through a different lens, because our experience has been, um, I mean, I certainly have experienced direct racism, and many people my age and older have, and it's not an uncommon occurrence, but it's almost like we live in a shadow reality. Um, these kind of realities have, realities have not been acknowledged by the political mainstream for a long time, because it's become, it's just not done. And, and also, you know, once you, if you admit that the country is fundamentally racist, then you, then you are undoing the whole ideal of America. It's very, it's a very, it's a very, um, uh, a fine needle we're trying to thread here. We're trying to uphold this American ideal of togetherness, mm. even in the worst of times. Uh, at the same time, uh, we have to acknowledge the, the reality of, in, of, of, of racial injustice. So, it's always been a te- let's just say a tension, <laughs> and I think that politically it's become taboo to talk about racist America because it just does not set well um, with most Americans. We prefer to believe in a different mm-hmm. version of ourselves. So mm-hmm. Obama is so ironic. He comes along. He is very, like you said, to the to the right of Bill Clinton, perhaps. Yeah. Very acceptable, quote unquote, um, the kind of black person who would assimilate. You know, um, the, guy, the kind of guy you want living next door to you, right? And yet, everything he does, even if it's exactly what Republicans want, um, um, there's nothing that he offers that they want. So it's just math. You have to do the, 
you know, just doing deductive reasoning. What other reason could there be for their rejection of him, their hatred of him, really, oh, yeah. uh, except the fact that he's black? I mean, it was pretty naked to me. Um, and it's painful to watch. I point this out in oh, the book. Yeah. You know, every time Obama, you know, announced something or had a press conference or, you know, I just kind of flinched because the disrespect that was continuous and that is still, you know, still in place, I was very, very blatant and read by most black people as complete uh, disrespect. Not just disrespect, but, you know, um, it was very discouraging to have our question answered. If there ever had, was a black president, um, would he also be treated like the rest of us? And the answer is yes. He, he, he has been. There is, he has um, become the magnet for a lot of racial animosity. Not, not his fault, just by being there. And that answers a, a question um, that, um, you know, we don't quite know where to put the answer. Okay, so if he can't um, lead, if he's not allowed to lead, or if he's going to get this kind of resistance, what hope is there for the rest of us who are still out here trying to make it in America? You know, it's, um, it's very discouraging. It's very, very you know, uh, glad Obama um, uh, succeeded in becoming president. And we're glad he's such, you know, he's going to remain, he's going to endure as a huge symbol of black success. However, he's going to also endure as a huge symbol of white resistance. Yeah, and true. that um, is to the, to the shame of the country. But I, I really think, you know, to hear you talk, what would Obama, what could he have done? What would he have done? How would his legacy, political legacy, be different if he had been allowed to do certain things, if he had pushed certain things through? He had a whole agenda, I understand, that, that just went nowhere. Um, his more progressive agenda, um, and he may have given up on it too quickly, yeah. but, um, and it took him a while to figure out he was going to get no support, but it's just, it's just dispiriting to think what, how this country might have been different had he not been so obstructed. Yeah, interesting. And I think about so many different issues where, you know, he he spoke in that 2004 speech about one America, and he always said throughout his two terms, although not Mm -hmm. so much toward the end, you know, working with, trying to work with the Republicans, and they refused to work with him, just absolutely. Absolutely. It it became part of their their party philosophy. I mean, he he reshaped the party, and, and of course, the party reshaped through the, the Tea Party, which mm. the faction that really ended up shifting the whole Republican Party, driving out the moderates and all that, and all because of Obama. You know, this one guy. Um, I don't know if that's ever happened in American history, but, um, you know, if you're a Republican, if you, even, if you even acted like you agreed with anything Obama said, you were voted out of office. You were run... You know, yeah. It was very extreme um, and very... Um, um, just you know, you could not break through that, and and it it, it basically it made them not you know made them um, um, uh, they, they didn't even govern. They would not. They basically sat on their hands for, for eight years. Yes, yes, doing yes. pretty much nothing. I mean, I could have been a Republican congressperson, um, and it was astounding to watch. Yeah. You know, they'd rather do nothing, uh, um, and sort of you know what's that phrase? Um, they figured they had to burn the village to save it, right? They just, oh, right from Vietnam. Even yeah. if things, even if things, there were things that that they could have done, could have passed laws um, that would have helped the whole country, mm-hmm. um, or even things they agreed with, um, would because it came from Obama's uh, brain, I suppose, or his desk, just wouldn't do it. And 
that kind of political opposition, we've had a lot of political opposition to presidents, of course, but nothing like this that I know of. And, and we can only deduce it's because of his race. And because, you know, it was, it was look, it was, it was cultural and cognitive dissonance for a lot of people. A black man in the White House just should not happen. Right. And then it was immediately called a socialist, which I think is very funny. I oh. wish Obama had been a socialist. Oh, he really? was not. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> he was a socialist. He was a Muslim. He was a, we can go down the list. Oh, yeah. And it's all, it's, it's all dog whistle um, yeah. um, uh, language for he's a black man. He's dangerous. He's the other. Um, this was a conversation that started, you know, during his campaign, fueled by people like Sarah Palin and to, to some extent John McCain, although I don't think he was ever good with this approach. But, yeah. you know, um, we kind of created the poisonous atmosphere we have now. It's been cultivated for eight years now. Absolutely. Um, and, probably, and long before that. But Obama, you know, um, the greatest irony of all is that his vision of one America became what we have now, which is he has revealed America to itself, which is mm. um, paranoid, white nationalist. I'm not saying this is all of America, but it's a very powerful faction that's always been around in one form or another. And now it's gotten complete, um, you know, it's sort of running amok. Jeez, and the rest sorry. of us don't know what to do about it. Wow, it is running amok. The name is Trump. <laughs> and <laughs> all those millions of, I, I, it, they support, it's the racism, in, in my point of view, has probably always been there, just barely below the surface. Oh, yes. It was legitimized somewhat by congressional, you know, just not going along with this guy. Oh, he can't really be, he can't really be legitimate president. And and now the racism is is just coming out there. And yet, I'm sure you heard, uh, Aaron, many times, too, that whenever we who don't like racism mentioned racism and pointed out racism, Amazingly enough, I never would have imagined this. The other side, the right wing, called pointing out racism, racism. It's racist. Yes. I, yeah, well, that's, that, that's something straight out of 1984, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> Double speak. You know, yeah. to, to even talk about racism, you must be racist. And further, if you're a black person and if you express sympathy or empathy for other black people, you are racist. You are being, mm. you know, so, of course, Obama as black president was totally hampered. If he even looks in the direction of black folks, he's, you know, he, people will say, he's, you know, he's playing favorites, he's, he's, he's being pro-black. In other words, to be pro-black is to be anti-white in, in our twisted political calculus. So mm. he was very, he, and Obama's aware of all of this. So black people, on the one hand, knew, we know all this. We've seen all this. We've experienced this. So we expected Obama to be very hampered. At the same time, we expected him to do to, to do to, to represent us in some way. How could you have a black president and not expect something of him? You know, expect him to to you know finally represent um, our interests in some way. Because even though, of course, he's president of, of all, we are in that America. Black people are a group of Americans, and we have certain issues and crises that uh, would be um, that any president really should be morally bound to address. So Obama, it's very difficult to not expect him. To on his own somehow to to address so many of these issues, and you know he did not speak directly to them, and to many people's minds, he did not. Never he he was way too cautious. Yeah. He's opened up now at the end of his term. You know, as many people predicted, he is being more you know taking more risks. Um, so, but you know, I think it all comes back to Obama as a person. You know, he really thought he could be the man to get everyone together, sees himself as a as a uh, a bridge builder. 
really. And he, he it's, it, you know, that's, kind of, that's how, that's his temperament. Yes. And so we expect him, I say this in the book, we kind of, we, we kind of fantasize about him going into a phone booth and coming out Huey Newton, you know, and that's the real Obama. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the yeah. radical Obama, the militant Obama. He is not that guy. He's just not that guy. He's a, he is more reflective. He takes the long view. He's, he's you know, he is deliberative. Um, he does, he can get angry, and I really think there is some guy underneath the presidential Obama that we have yet to see. Hmm. Um, um, hmm. But, uh, you know, all of, uh, the whole idea of him changing the game, like being radical, you know, in a good way, changing the game or upending the system, just not who he is. And also, um, I say in the book, Obama, to me, is a folk hero because he's really yes. a common man. He's, one of, he's a product of our black middle class that has, um, you know, emerged, that emerged after the Civil Rights Movement, did pretty well for itself, um, you know, stepped out and, 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 you know, achieved quite a bit. Obama's one of those, one of those fortunate, uh, what we used to call the talented tenth. He's one of the talented tenth, what Du Bois called the talented tenth. Mm. And, which means he's more interested in assimilating than he is in shaking up the system. So, it's very paradoxical. You know, he is... He is, in a way, a symbol of American success and, you know, actually racial success. At the same time, he's this radical black guy who, just by being where he is, is a, is a um, you know, is, is an affront to, to white supremacists. So he is really kind of a Rorschach. He's whatever you see him as. And um, I think it's kind of remarkable he's kept his sanity all this time and <laughs> hasn't cracked and hasn't broken down and, you know, just has sort of kept his dignity. And to a lot of black people... That's that's a big big uh, success. Interesting, yeah. There's so many cases of that. I mean, the fact that getting back to Jackie Robinson, mm-hmm. he he did he he kept his cool. Dis- oh well, that's you know that's why Jackie Robinson was was um, uh, Branch Rickey of the Dodgers chose him to be the first guy to integrate because he figured here's a guy who can hold it together. Here's a guy who won't fight back. Who you know has a lot of spirit, but but he will know. He, he will be able to keep it together. And that was true. Although I think it, you know, cost Jackie Robinson a lot of um, stress, and he, he died oh. fairly early, and his, his widow always said it was because of mm. everything that he held in. So Obama sort of was like a Jackie Robinson in that he had the temperament to be president. He did not lash out. He did not respond to insults, um, ugly insults, yeah. um, uh, with anger. He, he was temperamentally suited, you could say, to being president, not a hothead, yeah, and that was, fine. you know, I guess a, a good thing. On, at the same time, it made him less prone to uh, taking a stand, to to um, uh, being confrontational, which at some point you have to be if you're going to be a leader. So, but again, he was figure, he, he was figuring out his job as he went. He was he was figuring out what the limits of what he could do, what he couldn't do, and I think on the whole, black folks. Um, empathize with that because in in some of our in our own lives we've had to figure out our own limits, you know, um, and, uh, uh, and 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 struggle with assimilation. So in some ways he is he is a reflection yeah. of of a lot of black folks in America. Yeah, interesting. That there's a lot of that uh, comes out in the book. I yeah. heart Obama, and uh, I, I many of us, of course, remember. I can imagine the difficulty of being president of all the people and mm-hmm. the fact that his skin color is what it is and, you know and many of us remember obama's response to the 
horrible, not guilty verdict in the in the criminal trial of George Zimmerman, the white gunman who, sure. of course, fatally shot the teenager, unarmed black teenager, Trevon mm-hmm. Martin, in 2012. How did it feel to hear Obama say that, but for his age and the fact that he wasn't in Florida on that particular day and time, he could have been Trayvon Martin. Did Obama go far enough there? Talk about that, if you would, please. You know, I was very, I was so relieved to hear him say that. He was only, was he, was, he was coming out of the closet as a black person. I didn't know he was, <laughs> <laughs> he'd been one, you know, he was, I think that was the first time that he really, full, you know, actually articulated um, the obvious, which is that, yes, I'm black, and yes, this person, uh, this this young man could have been me. And what he was doing was establishing the fact that black people have a common experience, that even though the different, you know, different economic situations, geographic situations, that we do have a common experience, particularly black men. And that was very affirming to me. And I think, of course, it didn't go far enough, because I think the first thing he said before he said that was, well, you know, justice has prevailed, and we'll have to just, you know, he said the, the political thing, and we all kind of groaned, because, of course, yeah. the system, he said something like the system has spoken. or And so he said that. And then he said, you know, the thing about... Um, you know, there but for the grace of God go I, uh, because he typically, that's what he does. He says he covers all his bases, but I personally was very moved by that, because it also, you could tell, it tortured him to say this. He didn't, you know, he he didn't quite have it together, and that vulnerability really moved me. Um, he knew he what he was risking just by saying something like that, which, again, very obvious to black people, didn't need to be said, but for other Americans, the other Americans that he represents, it seemed like a radical statement, and he got immediate backlash for it. What? You know, he's not Trayvon Martin. They're not the same person, et cetera, et cetera. And later on, I think a week after that, or sometime after that, he actually went further and said, uh, no, I'm sorry, before he said that, he, he prefaced that by saying, um, uh, if I had a son, he would look like Trayvon oh, Martin. Right, and then right. the final next thing he said was, well, but actually I am Trayvon Martin. And anyway, I was very... Um, gratified that he said that, as were most black people. But, um, uh, of course, then we felt, well, now he needs to do something. He needs to go further. He needs to put, you know, um, I don't know, articulate some campaign. Or, But he, he actually, he didn't, or at least he didn't immediately. So it was very gratifying, also in a way very frustrating for us as a, as a, as a people. Because these things that Obama was saying has been true for so long. Oh, yeah. um, you know, so obvious to all of us that 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 uh, Obama, mm. we felt could at least, at the very least, be the window into Black America that it, it doesn't seem to have. You know, because um, in a way, most of America is clueless about about how we feel or how we experience life. And Obama was at least opening that window for other Americans. It didn't go over that well, though. Americans don't want to look into that window. That's no. the problem. They don't want to look into that window. They start grumbling about racism and this and that, and Obama pulled back because that's his natural reaction. He doesn't want to go any further than he has to. Um, but at the same time, I, overall, I really feel Obama is very much, um, very much uh, um, tuned in to the black experience. He, you know, much was made about the fact that he was, oh, you know, he's not that black. He was raised in Hawaii and in Indonesia. His mother was white. All that, I, I never, you know... I don't think that makes much of a difference. He's very, very aware of the black experience. He, you know, adopted Chicago as his hometown. He saw the, the plight of black folks. He worked amongst them. He wasn't just a drop-in visitor. I think he, <laughs> he you know, he lived as a black person in America. And um, 
that come that came through in many many different ways. He had to kind of keep that experience minimized, but it's very clear to me that that he resonated with us and we resonated with him. The question was, you know, how was that going to shape his presidency? Um, how much of himself was he going to let out? How mm. much could you know? And that was what we were watching for all this, these eight years. Mm, mm, mm. So well put. And you know, mirrors are only good if you look into them. And it seems like <laughs> that's very well, very well said. Uh, I just so many. Americans just don't want to see it. We, we, we believe in myth America, but not yes. reality America. And, and this, the horrible reality of America is that mm-hmm. racism has, is part of our foundation. I just, it I, makes me I sick. I completely agree. That's, that's, but that's always been the problem, hasn't it? Ugh, God, I know. Um, it's what, uh, it's, it's, a, it's that paradox. King, Martin Luther King had to, had to hold in his head that he loved America. He believed in the idea. He believed in the ideal America. He absolutely. really did. But he also oh, was very clear-eyed about the real America, as you say. And how do you reconcile those two things? How do you bridge that gap? And we're still dealing with that. Oh, are we ever? Mm-hmm. And and uh, I'm a bit older than you, and I I lived through the bloody, brutal yet very optimistic civil rights mm-hmm. movement of the 1960s. Of course, I was yeah. then, and I still am white. Uh, mm-hmm. Although Jewish, really, but it sort of looks white. Uh, but you know, back then in the '60s, it was all about protest. And I've heard it said that protest and politics are both necessary, but neither on its own is sufficient. Protest mm, and politics—that's true. I, I, I care to comment on that in the context of your book? Uh, sure. Well, protest. You know, first of all, I think protest is an expression is an expression of idealism. I think fights. You know, the kind of fights you. you you saw um, in the 60s that that is an expression of I- idealism, even though it gets bloody and ugly. But, you know, protest has to translate into um, laws, into, Absolutely. into um, Absolutely. changing of the system. And, yep. and that's, that is the gap. That's another gap we have to bridge. We're, um, I, you know, I guess um, I look around now and I see, you know, Black Lives Matter. That is a yes. protest-based movement, and it's great, and, and it heartens me to see to see it, um, um, you know, I think it's actually gone international. I mean, it's got, it, it, it's really caught the imagination of a, of a younger generation. The question is, you know, the older folks say, okay, so where's the agenda, and how do you propose to translate this protest into, you know, poli- into policy, right? Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's, that's where, that's the sausage-making, I guess. That's, <laughs> True. That's where you kind of convert idealism into law, and that has been tough. Um, but you do have to start with protest. I think that um, one thing black people learned kind of painfully during the Obama era, whatever that is, is that Obama actually himself said, he said in the beginning, um, you have to make me do it, bring, bring me an agenda, bring, yes. me, bring me a list of demands, uh, which I think is something that uh, Roosevelt said, FDR said. And unfortunately, we didn't really do that. We basically sat around hoping that oh, our, interesting. our feeling and our, our expectations would be enough and in politics, it's not enough. Whoever's sitting in office, you have to bring illicit demands. You have to bring pressure to bear. Um, I think we're finally waking ourselves up to that idea um, again. So um, yeah, and we're trying to bridge that gap. Um, you know, and, and making um, it happen. Making it happen is, you're right, the most important thing. And, yeah, and the context it is. And for... so we're always in the process of doing that. But like I said, I am, I, I, I'm hard to see the, the whole... Black Lives Matter movement, which is really a philosophical movement as much as it is a, you know, an actual movement. Um, 
And I think actually in some way Obama brought it about because we, we saw, we realized the limitations of politics. We saw that, you know, particularly for president, they're limited to sort of being a figurehead and that, you know what, the only thing that shape really, that really affects change are people. Oh, that's um, true. And when Roosevelt so said I think, that... I think, I think that was a good wake-up call. When, when Roosevelt said that, he had met with H. Philip Randolph, uh, mm-hmm. who, who was uh, head of the uh, Pullman Porters, who yes. were entirely black at the time. And he wanted, Roosevelt wanted to go along, but he said, I'm with you, now go out there and make me do it. Because you know, politicians, it. being politicians, they got to have the public support. And yes, interesting... Although, again, I'll just say one more time, Obama, you know, of course... He has every right to expect a, an agenda, but at the same time, we could not help but feel as a black man, he should know what to do. He should. He, should, yes, he shouldn't have that that moral burden on himself to to do something, and we shouldn't have to ask. But the reality yeah, is, true. we do have to ask. <laughs> that's, that's, you just have to ask. <laughs> that's you know. Um, yeah. So, and particularly, you know, with the, the given given the kind of uh, Congress he had, uh, he he definitely needed. Uh, help from other people, oh, yeah. shall we say. Yes, and this book goes into it quite a bit. The book is called I Heart Obama. Our guest today is the author Aaron Aubrey Kaplan. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a mature relationship. It's not Hall Hearts and Flowers. You know, we do heart Obama. I, I you know, I disagree with him on a number of different things, but yeah. there's, there's, I mean, I, I have to admit, you know, tremendous uh, warmth for the guy. And you talk about Black Lives Matter uh, from your book. Black Lives Matter applies to all of us in some way, yes. including Obama. He did yeah. not lead this movement, but he is in it, whether he admits that or not. It is a strange but timely dynamic. We are leading him. Yes, it's very true. Um, um, and and, and, and it, it, it's, it's also evolution in our own leadership. We are used to the charismatic model, the one leader, mm-hmm. the Martin Luther King, the Jesse Jackson, the sort of the point people, the Al Sharpens. None of those people were really instrumental in this, this Black Lives Matter thing. It was very ground-level, yeah, um, grassroots, uh, funded by women, by the way. Oh, interesting. Um, young point. women yeah. of color. yeah. Whose names you whose names you don't really know, but that's not the point. The, the, the this is, I guess, what you could call a leaderless movement. I mean, there are, of course, you have to have leaders at some level, but it's very, very different from black movements of the past, which I think is encouraging and necessary. So Obama has also shown us, inadvertently shown us a new way. Um, he's saying, look, um, I mean, he's not temperamentally the guy to be the Huey Newton to lead us anyway. So he sort of allowed ourselves to lead ourselves, and it's been effective. And so. I think um, I read just about a month ago that a uh, couple of the um, couple of women who you know were leaders of the, the Black Lives Matter movement uh-huh. went to the White House, and uh, I don't spoke with Obama, and he gave them the thumbs up, like you know you all keep doing what you're doing, you're on the right path. I think he, I think I don't know him, but I think he really agrees with what what they're striving for, what they're doing. He supports it, but he you know not out front, you know he can't be out front, right. but he supports it, um, and so he has. He has, you know, um, um, inadvertently shown us this. Hey, this is what we this is what we should have been doing all along. We just, you know, we didn't figure out our own our own role until uh, you know until kind of late in the game. Just as he didn't really figure out his own his own role as president for a while, and so we've had this interesting kind of you know parallel um, evolution. Mm. And who knows when Obama leaves office? Maybe he'll join the movement. Um, <laughs> I don't. I won't hold my breath. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, no, maybe. Maybe he's been radicalized in a way we don't know yet. Oh, interesting. Well, you know, we've heard it said no drama, Obama, and that has been his. <laughs> I have heard that. Really? Well, that that's certainly 
been his style. And, yes. you know, the whole American experience, I think your book talks about, uh, you know, it's oftentimes at a, at a personal level. For example, when you were about nine years old, you asked mm-hmm. your father why there had never been a black president. Mm-hmm. By, by that age, you understood very well that black people you know, were not considered equal citizens in many ways. The idea of a black president, of course, seemed impossible. Mm-hmm. Why did you ask, and what did he say? How does your dad, uh, who's, I assume is still alive, uh, who fought the yes, battles yes. of the 60s, feel about Obama? So why did you ask, what did he say, and how does he feel about Obama? Well, okay, well, I think I asked the question because it was like the most, it seemed like um, um, since being a black president, it seemed so fantastic, it seemed to me um, the kind of question that would get his attention, frankly. Yeah. Um, and um, um, and he, you know, as you, as you read in the book, he gave me a, a thoughtful answer. Um, and my father is, is alive, and he's still very much an activist. And he... Um, he is kind of embodies this um, kind of complicated view of Obama. He, from the very beginning, even though he was very impressed by Obama's success in '08, he said right away because he, he writes a, a weekly column for the local black paper, oh. and he said, uh, you know, let's not all do, let's not all start shouting before the curtain rises. Um, so he was hmm. he was very very um, wary of um, Obama of of, of Obama affecting any real change, because he said, you know, politics is such that he's going to be very, very hampered. And by the way, temperamentally, Obama seems not really, um, he's not going to go in there, you know, barnstorming, he's not going to go in there shaking things up. He, my father basically predicted what would happen. And, you know, he, um, so his expectations were not high, and yet he is disappointed that Obama has not done more for African Americans. So yeah. he embodies this, 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 Contradiction. My father's very, very knowledgeable, very smart. He, you know, intellectually, he knew, he knew exactly what the limitations were, and yet, and yet, he followed Obama very closely. He, I think, actually hoped for change, because that's what idealists do. And my father is a realist, but he's very much an idealist. Otherwise, he wouldn't be doing the work he does. So, you know, it was just part of that very complicated picture of Obama and what he represents, because what Obama represents is so powerful, almost more powerful than Obama himself. And uh, it, it, it just affected everyone. My father, against his, against his better judgment, he hearts Obama, too. <laughs> and um, so, so he is, you know, he's still kind of wrestling with this contradiction. And, um, and I think like a lot of black people, the first thing my father was looking at was the, res- the, political, the political resistance Obama was getting was completely just off the charts, and he yeah. couldn't help but empathize with that. And he said, you know... Um, this is how it is for black people in America. It was this this kind of thing, the situation, this this resistance writ very very large on the public, mm. you know, on the public stage and on the global stage. I mean, the rest of the world saw this too. I mean, I don't know how it looked to them, but um, and, the, and the rest of the world loved Obama. Yes, but, for sure. But that didn't seem to matter. Um, mm. And so, you know, Obama was was you know on on the one hand as a as um, um, as a politician as an elected official. Much to be desired for a lot of people as a symbol, as a, you know, mm-hmm. just unprecedented. Um, very much loved, really, in, in, in many ways. And, um, and I don't think that'll, I, I think that'll stand. I don't think, I don't think we are going to write him off ever. No. Um, 
he came, he tried, he struggled, and it's all about the struggle. And that's what I say in the book towards mm. the end, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really about sometimes succeeding in your goal, because oftentimes people took up things and didn't succeed, you know. The, the system just beat them back. In some ways, on many levels, we say Obama has succeeded. He's, he got there, he tried, he didn't, didn't succeed on every level, for sure, um, but he got there. And he occupied a space we not we thought would, ne- would could never be occupied by a black man because you know at the end of the day a president is a figurehead and a yes. president represents crystallizes you know um, American zeitgeist American all American feeling and a black president never had ever attempted to do that you know we only represent ourselves right we have and, mm. and, and for him to to attempt to represent all Americans um, it's just really um, kind of mind boggling and. So the resistance is not surprising, disappointing, but not surprising. And um, Obama, you know, has served a very important function in ways that he did not anticipate, but, you know, very, very valuable nonetheless. Absolutely. And and you were not prepared to to love Obama. As you mentioned, your father, you call him fiercely activist. And, 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 you know, you were filled as a kid growing up with uh, stories from the the civil rights movement and, uh, Mm -hmm. and... as you mentioned, there are uh, contemporary. You're skeptical about contemporary leaders who talk about quote the idea of change rather than mm-hmm. the mechanics of it. And having been an elected person myself, it's the mechanics that get it done. What what is it about Obama that made you cast aside your your cynicism? Your cynicism. Huh. Well, you know, it was really the power of seeing him in person. He just had his charisma. He had yes. this um, appeal. I mean, you know, you know, he was criticized for being a rock star, but that was a big part of his appeal. Oh, yeah. He looked persuasive. Um, he looked like he was sent out of central casting to be black president, you know. Yeah. Um, and he, I just, um, he gave me, uh, just, it sounds cliche, but he really gave me a sense of hope. I never really felt, I mean, I've seen many elected officials come and go. I've known some. I've respected and admired some, but I felt personally connected to him. It was very horizontal. I felt... Like, um, we were on the same plane. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I mean, we didn't share the same philosophy, but I felt like um, he was, and I described this in the book, he was really seizing that American ideal. He was owning it, saying, look, you know, this is a great country, and I'm going to give you back the ideal. I am going to, I am, you know, it's, it's mine. It, it belongs to me, and I'm going to revive it for you. And he had this sort of sense of ownership of American exceptionalism that was kind of scary on the one hand. Yes, yes. But really impressive. I never heard a black person sound so 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 unironically patriotic, but not not in the usual way we think of it. He just yeah. was stepping in there and saying, Look, yes, this is my ideal and I'm going to lead you to it and you know, it was really um moving to me. I just I, 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 like I said earlier, I, I was moved by his own belief in this American ideal. Everyone, I mean, black people I know that I've, you know, for all my life I've heard nothing but criticism of the American ideal because it's been, it, is, it has been not ours, it, is not, it has true. been used against black people, it has yeah. been kept from us. And so I've, I just grew up very cynical of this ideal. I, I, I held it out there somewhere, you know, in the future, but... He was seizing it. He was he was owning it, and I was very um, taken yeah. back by that in a good way. And I thought, wow, well, if he can do that, well, maybe there's hope for me. Right. <laughs> and uh, uh, I just was impressed by that. And he and and I I had a a friend who worked for, on his campaign, um, 
who said that some of the you know he he just assumed that that uh, that hope that kind of idealism was you know political sloganeering, and he said that Obama he said he was very clear that Obama believed in that, and Obama was thought of that as much more than a slogan. He really felt it was um, it was something that was doable, um, and uh, and something he could he could make happen. So there was a little bit of the, you know this, this Obama was this great idealist, um, and uh, you know, his idealism was on this massive scale and. I was just very impressed by that. Yeah, and and I th- I, I agree with you that you know, and, and with Obama, I suppose for that matter, that uh, mm-hmm. you know, I certainly am of the left. I was part of the anti-war movement, and I'm still you know of that. But I deeply feel patriotic because the Constitution, the ideals that our founders uh, you know believed in, that we can have our own self-government, that real democracy can happen. That's I think. My sense is he believes in that stuff too, and 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 he's he's definitely uh, acting on it. I got to ask, and and you talked about Huey Newton before, and believe it or not, there are probably some people who don't know who Huey Newton is, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, you know he was a, a leader of the Black Panthers movement, which was a great uh, movement as well. And you interviewed another great leader, in my opinion, Angela Davis. You interviewed her for this book. Uh, she told you that the paucity of progress on issues of racial justice lies not with the president, but elsewhere. Talk about that if yeah, you Yeah, you know, in fact, actually, I didn't interview her for the book. I did interview her at an event. Oh, okay. But this was back in, I think, 2009 or so. And she, she act, and I fully expected her to have this, uh, to have a sharp critique of Obama as this as this uh, yeah. as this middle class black guy being absorbed into the system and mm. being ineffective, but she she thought the opposite. She actually said um, she was talking about the Occupy movement. This was around the time of the Occupy movement, okay. and she said, "Oh well, the revolution is here." And then she was talking about Occupy, but then she went on to say, "And Obama, she, she really felt he symbolized the the continuation of of stru- of of, um, of of struggle of good struggle of um, she felt he was." He was um, a finger in the eye of the system, a thumb in the eye. Yeah. I'm uh-huh. messing up the metaphor here, but you know, she felt that it, essentially um, um, the fact that he was a black man who, okay, he's not Huey Newton, right. but he was pretty. He was a, a guy who was conscious, you know, had some progressive ideals, had some, you know, had some had empathy with progressive ideals, and that was a tremendous thing to her. In other words, he was not Clarence Thomas. He was not some black prop of, of white ideology, or he wasn't this, this conservative kind of Trojan horse. He was a different person, and he resonated with, with progressive ideals, even if he couldn't enact them necessarily. She felt that was a tremendous step forward, and she was very op- optimistic and very hopeful. And, you know, her, you know, one of her big causes now is the ab- you know, prison abolition, the oh, abolition yes. of prisons, not reform, <laughs> the abolition of prisons, and that's that's something Obama, I'm sure, never uh, agreed no. to. But she, yet, she felt he was he was in the game. He was part of this very noble struggle for, you know, justice and equality. And she felt he was, you know, he was on the right side of history. Interesting. And, and I, I want to read a little bit from uh, toward the end of your book. You say, uh, what I'm saying is that we have a relationship with this new entity of Obama that has broken new ground and that will probably endure, but it's been rocky so far. The romance has been intense, 
but often unromantic. I love that line. The relationship <laughs> has shown us things, brilliant things, but also things we never expected or wanted to see or think about again. And now we have to think about them. We have no yeah. choice. It is part of our history. We have changed. I, I, from that, I wanted to ask, Martin Luther King believed the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Mm-hmm. Where do you think Barack Obama fits on that arc? Oh, what a great question. Thank um, you. I think he is part of that bending toward justice. He didn't, you know, didn't bend as far as we would like to, you know, to, to see him bend, but I think he's definitely inclined, you know, he definitely is more in that tradition, the arc bending towards justice than an arc going in another direction. And I just think that uh, in some ways he became president at the worst possible moment. Hmm. Um, he inherited a huge mess. Um, yeah, so will the next president, for that matter. Yeah. So in, in some ways, he, there just weren't not enough uh, progressive or even liberal forces. What I, what you know, the old-fashioned term of uh, definition of liberal. I just don't think there was enough of that around to uh, help true. him. Yeah. Um, um, go along that arc. He ended up being quite isolated in a way. Yes. Um, um, too isolated to to um, to go as far as we needed him to go, or that he wanted to go. You know, um, yeah. I'll just give one example of many. He lost the pu- he well he gave up the public option of health care reform. Right. Um, that's just one thing of many. But the fact he got anything through um, is pretty remarkable. Uh, but again, you know, he. Um, Unlike the 60s and 70s, where even like people like Nixon um, uh, were pushed to do things like environmental reform, right. the Times didn't push him. The Times was pushing against him. He was blowback from the moment one. And that, I yeah. think, um, that definitely hampered his arc. But I think he will be remembered as, as, as um, a guy who tried to follow that arc because, you know, he invoked King a lot. You know, he liked that comparison, I think. Um, oh, well, yeah, who wouldn't? <laughs> he wasn't King, but he very much, I think he saw himself in that tradition. I really do. And um, uh, one thing I say in the book early on is that, um, in, in the chapter on his representation, immediately in black neighborhoods, his image went up next to King. His image went up next to Malcolm X. And mm-hmm. a whole history of black freedom fighters, whether he belongs there or not, you know, I mean, you know, I, I guess maybe it doesn't matter. He, we put him there in our minds, and I think he does belong there, but with a bit of a caveat. You know, as president, different from all those guys, different from or and those women. Um, and I think he tried to bring all those threads, to hold all those threads together, and go forward. And you know, it was a very, very difficult thing to do um, to resolve the racial injustice, to kind of forward progressive ideals, to take the country back from the morass it was in, to all that stuff. Um, I think, uh, like I said, in my, in my folk hero view of him, he tried, he struggled, and that is the most important thing that you tr- that you struggle to the end. Um, mm. And I think I think he he put in a struggle. At the end of the day, um, he tried. He he you know he did the best he could. Uh, maybe not you know not what we would have done, but as one as one friend of mine points out, said, "Look, we don't know what it was like to be president. We have no idea what he went through. We'll we'll know later on." No, oh, that's but, an inter- um, interesting point. You know, um, that's for the future. And, uh, yeah, the history is going to be very interesting. I think history will treat Barack Obama very, very well indeed, remarkably well. I mean, standing up to all that stuff. Final question. 
some people think that Obama's presidency might make it harder, not easier, for another black person to be elected president. Then again, we had Ben Carson, with whom I agreed on zero, uh, but his, his skin color was as it, well, it is as it is, and, and he seemed to be taken seriously by people. What, what do you think? Will, it make it, will Obama's presidency make it harder or easier for another black president to be elected? I don't know if oh, in my life. Ben Carson is, <laughs> I put him in the company of Herman Cain. And, uh, yes, I mean, he, absolutely. That's, I let's forgot just about say him. that um, um, I, you know, I suppose it's possible that a, a, a very conservative candidate like a Ben Carson could come along again. I, I don't, that's definitely not the arc of justice that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I'd be looking for. Yeah. Um, but someone like Obama, someone like Obama politically, temperamentally, Someone like him and left of him and black, I think it'd be very, very difficult. Yeah. I think that I think that the Republicans, not just Republicans, but even people who supported Obama, Obama just exhausted us for eight years. You know, we <laughs> we were on a high. We we were walking this this tightrope for eight years. Um, we saw all this ugliness, and again, not Obama's fault, but I think the country might not want to see that again for a while. So, I don't mm. know if we've learned not to elect a black man. Um, or if we'll, or if the next one that comes along, we we'll, it'll be much much easier. I mean, let's just say that now we have you know we have Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders running um, primary. Uh, both would you know both of them are a first. Um, yes. Hillary being a woman, Bernie Sanders being Jewish and the socialist. Yes. Um, and that is of course you know that that is not as radical as perhaps it would have been eight years ago. Obama has I think. Uh, uh, you know, forged a path for um, unprecedented presidents. I don't know if we'll get another black president. I don't know about a man, perhaps a woman, but um, this is all very, you know, remains to be seen. But I really think we've gone through so much racial trauma the last eight years that perhaps uh, the um, non-black America does not want to visit, revisit this. Um, mm. And so I don't know, I don't know, um, I, I'm, I am doubtful that we'll have another black president like Obama or or more or to the left of Obama, or more idealistic. Um, the real question for me is, I wonder if we can have that idea, that idealism again. Are we going to have another One America campaign? Um, we have really been mm. beaten down. That idea has been beaten down so hard that I really wonder about that, and that might be the real victim here, that, mm. that, that ideal that we all love to hold, we all love to hold up in some way. Boy, it's really been exposed, hasn't it, the last um, several months. Um, yeah, that is for sure. As... as, as very, not not a sham, but very frail at this point, kind of on life support, right? So, that, that's, that's being optimistic. That's what I really wonder about. Very, very interesting book. I Heart Obama, the author Aaron Aubrey Kaplan. Thanks so much for being with us and keeping democracy alive. Oh, thank you, Bert. It was really great to be on. Going back to a little James Brown uh, talking about some black pride. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening.
for ourselves. We're tired of beating our head against the wall and working with someone else. 